Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Good Dog Pod, where we discuss all things related to canine health, research, how Good Dog helps breeders run their breeding programs, and so much more. I'm Dr. Nate Ritter, the staff veterinarian here at Good Dog, and your host for this week's episode. I am very excited to introduce the topic of today's podcast, genetic testing. I'm joined this week by George Sophronitis. George started his passion for companion animals in 2002, introducing and educating breeders on the benefits of genetic testing, running 2020 clinics, and collecting samples at dog shows. In January 2014, he co-founded Oravet Genetic Pet Care, where Genetic George, the petrepreneur, has continued to focus on innovations for breeders, veterinarians, associations, and pet owners on the benefits of DNA testing, in particular, the insight it brings to all animal enthusiasts. George, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Hey, Nate. What an intro. <laughs> People will be listening to that and thinking I'm in some wheelchair based <laughs> on all that history. No, welcome. It's good to be on, Nate. Really, really happy to be on Good Dog Pod. We very much appreciate you joining us. Why don't we jump right in? We'd love to hear, considering your expertise in the space, some current trends in genetic testing, if you could share anything with us. Wow, and how that space has changed since I first started. So literally testing a lot. I do like to sort of break that into three areas, which will probably help sort of explain the trends. You know, most people genetic test for health reasons, you know, and there's also people that genetic test for breed or ancestry reasons and then there's this sort of new phase where people are genetic testing for what we call phenotypic or trait reasons so changes that i've seen is 20 years ago when i first started you very rarely saw anyone wanting to pay for a phenotypic test colors or hair length but today it's almost one of the key drivers of why breeders want to test so that's been one of the changes. It's been amazing just the amount of tests that are available. When I first started, you mentioned 2020 clinics. There was a company called Optogen that would offer some eye disease tests early on. And, you know, some of them were only through blood. Today, the technology has advanced so much that we're seeing really high throughput mass array delivery of tests, which means it's very, very affordable to offer 220 odd tests all at once it was interesting because i have a really nice saying where 20 years ago you could charge 140 dollars for one test but today it's almost 140 dollars for 260 tests so unfortunately i didn't make much money in the early days nate but you know there were opportunities there and then we sort of see this testing now for, and you've probably seen it through for breed ID or ancestry, which is more driven by people that have a rescue or a mutt and want to simply determine its ancestry and see what the breed makeup is. And that again is driven by, I think, two things, the human curiosity factor, you know, when you've got your rescue and you're at a park and Nate might see me with my dog and go, what breeds that? And you go, oh, I don't know. 
we call it in Australia the barbecue bet. You know, you're sitting around a barbecue and your friends are there and they go, oh, what breed's that dog? And you go, I don't know. So I'd like to think that by understanding the ancestry of your rescue, you're able to determine some of the behavioural characteristics, which might help you when you're trying to see whether that dog suits your lifestyle. So they're the three areas. So if I had to summarise, it's just the technology, the drive of what tests the emotional drive. But all in all, you know, dogs have changed even the human emotional change that I've seen in 20 years where 20 years ago a dog spent 60% of its time out in the backyard and maybe 20% indoors it's reversed completely now hasn't it Nate? No it really has I appreciated that even in my time from growing up working in veterinary clinics in the northeast going to school farther south and then coming back up to practice you appreciate different types of dogs, you know, pet dogs or the backyard yeah. dog or what have you. So it really has, though, seemed to be more so towards a member of the family. Of the family, um, yeah, exactly. Totally. And that's something, you know, my wife and I, we have a rescue animal and we did the test to see what his makeup was. So it definitely played on, like you said, that emotional aspect. We had so many people inquiring as to what his makeup was, and it was certainly helpful to pursue that and at least have some kind of answer. Yours was the curiosity factor. Exactly. It's interesting because we do get a lot of inquiries where people want to determine the breed of their dog towards sort of the end of their age. You know, they're almost about to make a decision. All this time they haven't, and they think to themselves, you know what, I haven't decided what Charlie's breed was. I'm going to do it now before it's time to say goodbye. It's interesting. You'd think they'd get it done early on, but most of them get it done later on. That's interesting. Yeah, we certainly did it on the earlier side. You know, that curiosity, we couldn't stand it. I saw he was a peculiar looking guy, so we wanted to get to the bottom of that sooner rather than later. We saw a huge uptake of dogs during COVID, during lockdown. We saw a huge demand for puppies, yet the supply was low. And now we're starting to see a plateau. We're starting to see where people are becoming a bit more sensible that the want for a puppy is no longer there. People that had one dog are now having two dogs. For example, I have two dogs. I have two brachycephalic breeds. I have a Boston and I have a Griffin. For those that are listening, Charlie's the Boston and Mary the Griffin. So the trends, it's interesting. Do you as a vet start seeing more and more of the brachycephalic breeds? Are you seeing smaller dogs coming through clinics? Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah. So, you know, when I graduated veterinary school, I was practicing in Manhattan, which you can imagine not necessarily the place for larger animals. So mm-hmm. certainly saw my fair share of pocket pups, if you will. So I think the vast majority of my patients were the smaller dogs. And I think, you know, we've seen that popularity grow as it relates to French bulldogs. I think they've become the most popular, at least here. And particularly interesting, I think you mentioned, you know, relating to the test specific to certain breeds, where can people find what tests are appropriate to pursue for their particular breed? Should they be interested if they're not testing already or interested in testing more or what have you? Yeah, always good questions because it's one of the key questions I get. And I also get them from veterinarians when I'm presenting to vets, where can I source them? Now, unfortunately, I could give everyone my email and my phone number and they could reach out to Genetic George and it would give them a perfect answer. But as much as we hate Dr. Google, there are some really good reference sites that you can all use. I'm going to name three of them for you. And there's one called the OMIA website or the Online Mendarian Inheritance website, which has a list of all the diseases with references, with gene, where it can be found. There's also a website 
that's developed by Pangen with the World's Small Animal Vet Association as their founding group. Really well set up because you can search by breed and then once you search the breed, it lists all the tests that are relevant to that breed. And when I say relevant, one of the limitations with genetic testing in dogs is although we have a genetic test, for example, for hereditary cataract, Hereditary cataract can be seen in over 80 breeds, but unfortunately the genetic test only covers five breeds. So there's no use a poodle that may be assessed as having cataract do the genetic hereditary cataract test because it's only relevant to Staffords, French Bulldogs, Bostons, Australian Shepherds. It's not going to give you a genetic result that's relevant. So the PenGen site lists the tests, lists the publication as well, and also the laboratories that offer those tests. And then there's another site called the International Partnership of Dogs, the IPFD site, which has a really good search engine where you can search by disease, search by breed, and then what it does really well, it gives you the diseases that it sees as key diseases you should focus on and then the ones that are secondary diseases too. Some really good websites. So just for people to know, there's one called OMIA. If you Google O-M-I-A, you'll see it's a site developed by the vet school in the University of Sydney in Australia. Good old Australia, give them a shout out. There's the PenGen site that you can view, which is put together by the World Small Animal Vet Association as one of their supporters, and the IPFD website. If you have those three bookmarked on your computer, Nate, you can't go wrong. No, fantastic. And then what we do is we group them as panel. The only challenge you're always going to have is finding phenotypic tests that are relevant. You know, is the E locus, is the M locus one? So this is why you just sent to say just run them all anyway, even if they're fixed in some breeds. But if there's a message I need listeners to understand is understand that there may be 290 genetic diseases available, but if you've got a Labrador, only 18 are going to be relevant to your breed. There's no use showing a vet that, look, all my dog's clear of 290 genetic diseases. I could have told you that they'll be clear for 260 before you even sent the test in. So people think more information is better. It's not. It's actually confusing because then you believe you've got a dog that's clear of hereditary cataract when in fact it's not. No, absolutely. I think it's a really, really important point. We see that all the time with people reaching out. And I think it's so important to know which diseases are relevant. Exactly. Which ones are relevant. And so definitely recommend the sources that you offered. And then additionally, reaching out to whatever organization you may choose to pursue that testing, they'll be able to help guide you. Are there resources or a vet if people were to reach out, counselors or what have you, that might be able to help individuals who reach out? Totally. Understand your results discuss them with your veterinarian if you have a positive. People sort of get this positive and sort of get all concerned, whereas sometimes a positive at risk simply means at risk. You may not develop those symptoms ever, depending on a number of other factors from genetics, environment, nutrition. The penetrance in diseases varies enormously, enormously. So people need to look at the penetrance, discuss it with their veterinarian. No, absolutely. I think depending on the condition, it's really important to remember. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Education is at the core of our mission here at Good Dog, and we're always finding new ways to provide the latest and greatest in canine health and research to our community of good breeders. We're excited to offer members of our community free and exclusive access to Good Dog Courses, a series of online educational courses that include in-depth videos, checklists, breeding tools, and more. You can receive exclusive access to your litter A to Z, 
which helps prepare and guide you all the way through whelping, raising, and sending your puppies home, Breeding Foundations, which includes eight courses that have been hand-selected by our team to help get you ready to breed and start a successful breeding program, Savvy Socialization, This class discusses new ways to think about socialization of puppies and how to approve upon current recommendations and so much more. You can even earn up to nine certificates of completion for all the courses we offer and proudly display them to show off your breeding knowledge. Again, this is completely free for members of our community and you can access these courses by visiting gooddog.com slash goodbreedercenter slash courses. If you aren't yet a member of our community and would like free access to all of this educational content and so much more, we invite you to apply to join at gooddog.com slash join. We did a podcast previously talking about choosing your breeding stock. It's very, very difficult to come by, air quotes, a perfect animal. And even then, you know, we don't want to disclude the other animals that are impacted from, if appropriate, from including them. We don't want to limit the genetic diversity. You're right on, Nate, and I could do another podcast, and I use this a lot to my breeders, is, to be honest, I don't really care if your dog is bred and is clear of 15 genetic diseases. If it has a lousy temperament, it makes a lousy pet. So focus on what is the real thing that should be driving your breeding is the behaviour and temperament. If your dog carries a genetic disease, so be it. It's going to be a pet. 95% of what you breed is someone's pet. So temperament and behaviour are the key factors. Whether it's a carrier for a particular disease to a pet, does not matter to them. Yeah, no, it's a very important aspect to be thought of. And, you know, you have to look at the whole picture, right? When you choose an animal, That's it's right. the, the statistics on a page. You need to look at them overall as a being and consider the implications of utilizing an animal like that and what they may create. So yeah, I think very, very important points. While we have you, is there you know anything else you'd like to share with the audience as it relates to more about genetic testing in general? We're all ears. Look, I was just going to say that, that pets today, they are social lubricants, aren't they? They've changed the way a lot of people, if you look at the way they are in their home, we did some really nice surveys. I always like to finish with a really good one where we sort of interviewed a thousand people and we had a really good range of people and we asked them what their favourite toy was for their dog. And can you guess, Nate, what you think was number one? If you had to guess what you think someone's favourite toy was for their pet. What pops in the head, I would say, you know, tennis ball or bone. The, the classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. It was tennis ball, frisbee. You know, look, in the end, all I can say is that breeders today don't really have an excuse not to test. There are plenty of organisations out there. Testing is affordable. It's easy to access. It doesn't require a blood sample like it did 20 years ago. So I say to them, the start's always the scary part, isn't it, Nate? You know? I've been breeding for so long. If I get started and I find, don't worry, you can't change what's happened in the past. It's about trying to test because in the end, what you breed becomes someone's companion for 12, 13, 14 years. So it becomes part of their family. And the last thing someone wants is a pet where in the end you could have eliminated a hereditary condition we're not saying you can produce a perfect pet there is no way you can't give someone and say you know what take this pet it's not going to have any hip displays not going to have any helps going to have any you can't you just can't guarantee but you can at least use some tools within your means to reduce some of those 
hereditary genetic conditions that are available to that breed. Absolutely. I think, like you mentioned, it's, it's a huge responsibility and the testing, particularly the genetic, it's a bare minimum. And like you said, there are no guarantees, but we can certainly do our best to put ourselves on a track for success and hopefully give us the best opportunity to strive towards that perfect dog, whether we're able to reach that or not. So I think that's all we've got for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this week's episode. We would also like to thank George and Oravet for your time and willingness to educate our community. We certainly hope this information was helpful. Like we mentioned, we appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you here for our next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Knight. Thank you for listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform. 